Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, everyone who is uh, watching the live stream. If you'd like to join us live in the Zoom meeting, you can do so right now at sellerroundtable.com forward slash live. We are going to get started here in just about a minute with Mark Miles. We're talking uh, how to get uh, your Amazon business started in the U.S., um, how to uh, figure out how to sell on Amazon U.S. when you are not a U.S. citizen, um, and uh, fun things like that. So go ahead and join us now if you'd like to, sellroundtable.com forward slash live, and we're going to get started here shortly. All right. Here we go. I will hit record. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with... Amy Weiss. And this is Seller Roundtable number 107, and we're super excited to have Mark Miles on today. Mark, thank you, and uh, thanks for being here, and welcome. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Andy. Amy, thank you. So, Mark, what we, uh, what we like to do to start out is to get a little bit of background on yourself, so you can give us kind of... Uh, you know, as much or as little as you want, you know, where you're born, where you live, where you grew up, uh, you know, school, uh, hard knocks, uh, past businesses, you know, kind of anything you want to go into, we'd love to hear about it. Okay, absolutely. So, yeah, I, uh, I actually grew up several places around the world, um, got my, you know, 007 classification license, no. um, <laughs> but I actually did live over in several different places. I grew up in Europe and in Asia a bit. And I've always had a love for Asian culture and an understanding of European culture. And always, you get a different perspective when you grow up a lot side outside the United States. And that and the learning where I've been has given me, a, I think, a relatively unique opportunity to really understand where people are coming from, seeing other points of view, which has led to my whole desire to help people get to the goal they want to get to rather than fitting them to a box and saying, here's what you have to do if you want to do X. I prefer to take the, what's your goal? Let me know. We'll find a way to help you get to it. And it's your goal. And you're going to make the decisions. I will give you advice. I will help you out. But you're going to make those decisions. So I went over. I went to law school. I majored. I went to college in Indiana, majored in Japanese studies. Didn't continue it in law school. Mistake, I think, looking back on it. Uh, went into tax instead. Um, don't, no one asked me why I thought tax would be more interesting in Japanese studies, but I did tax for in law school and got my master's in tax. So I said, this stuff's complicated. I'm going to be advising people. I better learn a little bit about it. And so, you know, I got a master's in tax. Um, I worked for national security for two years because nobody wanted to hire someone straight out of law school with no experience, despite how much knowledge they knew. So I have worked international security for one of the largest international and medical security companies in the world. And then I went back into U.S. market as working for a CPA firm, doing uh, a lot of tax issues, but also providing business services because they wanted business services. Uh, that kept working until my father died about 16 years ago. And my mom was alone here in Florida. That was the opportunity to move down to Florida, get away from Pennsylvania where I was at the time. And for the last 15 years in Pennsylvania, I've just been sort of saying, what can I help down here? Uh, I'm in Venice, Florida. It's not exactly the metropolitan hubbub of current businesses. So it's made the business block practicing a little more challenging. Uh, but this 
COVID-19 that's impacted all of us has also given some of us opportunity. Okay? And my opportunity is now reaching out to international clients through my BNI, which has given me the platform, talk to people on Zoom and be able to go to Malaysia or Hong Kong or Germany, talk to people and give me a chance to expand to say, how can I help you when you want to work in the United States um, with Americans? Um, as far as my background, um, that I studied, I like to read, uh, I like to play Japanese chess, I like to bicycle, not that I've done much of that recently, that I should more. Um, I do teach Taekwondo. Um, okay, my wife also teaches Taekwondo. And I like reading, playing games. You know, that's usually what I do when I'm you know, not working or helping somebody. So, awesome. There we go. I love it. Love it. So, um, I, yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that's kind of your bread and butter is, you know, helping overseas, uh, people, you know, brands and, um, you know, I'm sure you, you do, you work for big brands and probably smaller, uh, mom and pop type shops as well. Um, who want to sell in the U S uh, who aren't U S citizens or based in the U S. So what are, uh, you know, if somebody, you know, say for example, um, in, in, uh, our Facebook group, we have a lot of people from Pakistan. They just, opened mm -hmm. um uh selling to uh people in pakistan on amazon us so you know if somebody somebody was trying to start their uh amazon us business and they're from pakistan you know how could you help them what would be some of the first steps uh to help them you know get okay. into into uh selling on amazon okay so the first step actually before you even probably come to me is making sure whatever product or service that you have is able to be sold in the united states you know, especially through amazon or any other us service because it's like, well, it's great. We have it online and we want to sell this product. Sorry, that's banned, you know, <laughs> and you're not going to be able to sell. Maybe you have a product that needs to be registered. You have to get appropriate permits from the USDA, you know, or the, you know, FDA. Um, maybe U.S. tobacco alcohol firearms. But those are processes that I'm not familiar with. You know, as an attorney, I don't actually deal with a lot of the government here. But the first is to see what it takes to bring your product. Can you bring your product here? You know, what's the liability? For doing so, uh, what's the government regulations for doing so, and is your packaging compliant? And that's going to have to be done by somebody else other than me, because honestly, that's not what I do. Uh, you want compliant packaging. I mean, I can tell you a certain, you know, legal <laughs> liability waivers you want to put, you know, on the package of some. But you know, as far as you know, complying with them, you have to comply with that. That's the first thing foremost. Number one is to say. What have you done to do that? If not, do we have people that I can put you in touch with that know that and can help get those answers? Number two after that is what's your budget? Um, because a lot of what you do is gonna be depend on how much money you want to or can spend. If you have a lot of money, there's a lot more you can do. If you don't have a lot of money, you have to be very careful and decide what you're gonna do with the product. And third is, are you only gonna do Amazon or another online retail? Or do you want to do something more that becomes, I don't know, what do we call it? Offline, hands-on, you know, live. <laughs> right, right. Brick and mortar. So, brick and mortar, yep. Or yep, yep. You know, even importing through, you know, without actually a separate store, you can just import, you know, product. You don't have representatives, you know, marketing or selling it. Sure. Um, so so, you know. That being said, you know, do you suggest when, when you have like an overseas client, um, are you trying to help them get uh, set up with things like, you know, trademarks, uh, banking, um, you know, kind of what are, what are the, what, what are the pitfalls in terms of, 
of um you know getting set up in the u.s you know that because it, it seems like one of the biggest things that we see over and over again is um you know like verification right people having to submit documents and bills and yeah. things like that i mean that's a, probably by far the biggest issue that i see with uh people trying to sell in the u.s you know what what are some suggestions that you can give in terms of making that process as simple and smooth as as possible okay so one of the things is regardless of what you legally can or can't do of course you know amazon has certain rules each online retailer has certain rules and they're going to want paypal has certain rules and they're going to want certain things and you can either go through paypal's rules and maybe you need to if they don't like it, maybe get an attorney who specializes in PayPal uh, or Amazon appeals, like people do, to get an answer. If for some reason Amy somehow doesn't have the answer, which I'd be surprised if she didn't, but if she doesn't have the answer and you have to get an attorney, their rules are sort of their rules. The biggest problem you're going to find, which is the same thing when it comes to banking, is most places are requiring a social security number. An EIN number is not good enough to do. Now, if it's an foreign company demonstrate that dissatisfaction that might work um, but most you know but most companies need to have some want a social security number they want a social security number you don't have a lot of options honestly one is to see do you really trust somebody that you know in the united states if they're a family member friend do you trust them and are they willing to work with you you can we can do whatever it takes to make it to the quote legally part of any business entity so they can use their social security number to provide it. I have uh, Canadians who have used their son's social security number to get the access they've needed to do stuff um, in the U.S. because their son was willing to do it, and they obviously trust their son. You know, you don't want to go out to some stranger, hey, who's got a social security number? I'll pay you 500 bucks. Let me use your social security number. Uh, it's not going to work very well. But the other problem with that is banking. So let's say you get set up and you actually want a bank account in the United States. That's really hard if you're overseas. Most banks are now not opening them for foreign residents, non-residents, sorry. Even more, even if they open them, in order to get a, as a signer on the bank account, you need to come to the United States for almost all banks. So if you want a US bank account and you have to somehow find your way to the United States and find a bank, it's gonna let you be a signatory and open an account. Now, that that pitfall is easier to fix. That one's much easier to fix. It just requires you having somebody that you can trust, like an attorney. And I say attorneys over anybody else for a very good reason, is most people that are setting this up are not dealing in tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. As an attorney, any attorney who's providing services like I do what they know for and is like a company secretary, registered agent, bank accounts, can also be a person to assist that with the banks. Now, we have ethical rules that apply even when we're not acting as an attorney that follow in everything we do. So the difference that makes attorneys from everybody else is your $25,000, your $50,000 doesn't matter compared to my license. I could care less. I'm not doing anything you know, to risk my license or your $25,000. I'm sorry, it's not worth it. So if you have an attorney, you have a lot better sense of security that the person is going to do what they want, a little more trustworthy. And I even write into language, certain language of the documents that prevent me from doing something, you know, without approval. So there's ways to do around that. 
You have to be, it comes down to, you have someone that you can trust to do that. So security number is harder. I'm not gonna, even if you're my client, I'm not giving you my social security number to anybody to use on a form for PayPal. It's not happening. That is gonna be one of the harder things. You're gonna have to go through their regulations and rules and see what it is they can do. Really not much you can do about that unless you have someone else give you social security number. Right, that's a really interesting take on, well, a view on a different way that you could get set up in the US is knowing somebody with a social security number um, and working with them. Um, what I would love to understand, there are many different types of attorneys, right? There are patent attorneys and trademark attorney, attorneys and you are more of a general business attorney. And so can you explain um, why business owners should have a business, a general business attorney, and um, what kinds of um, things that you do for business owners? Absolutely, I'm glad you asked that. So one of the things, yes. So attorneys by nature, when they're licensed to practice in any state they're licensed to practice in, can practice any type of law other than patent law, which has its own separate bar, and maybe a couple others that may not be aware of specialty items that you can't practice. Obviously, military, you know, you know, we can't do either. But basically, if it's anything from, you know, criminal to civil to business to tax to divorce, we can do so by nature of as an attorney. You probably don't want someone who can do all of those because you could, you know, jack of all trades, master of none is not a good thing in you know the legal world. And so what I do as a business attorney, the biggest thing I help people understand is to avoid the headaches, pit traps, and the legal risks that you take by not doing things right. And here's a great example. I have a friend who is on a Facebook group in Naples called Living and whatever it is, people in Naples. And someone said, I need an attorney to form an LLC. And all these people are like, oh, you don't need to form an attorney to form an LLC. Just go online and do it. It's not the practice of law. You can do it. And I didn't join, I'm not a member of the group where I said something. They're correct. Technically, to go onto the website of any state you're in and form an LLC, you do not have to have a law license to do so. You can do it. Train monkey can do it if you tell them the right information. The problem is people say, I have an LLC, therefore I'm protected. No. Most people form a business entity like an LLC for one of two reasons, tax or asset protection, liability protection. If you form an LLC by yourself and you think you have asset protection, you're wrong. What? There are things you can get with it, but and also may not be the best example. Maybe you form the LLC because you're told that's the best thing. Then you find out that for, maybe, for example, in Canada, LLCs aren't treated the same way and you've got a lot more tax you're going to pay. Or it's treated somewhere else in your own home country because you formed an LLC and that may not have been the right entity. You may. Also, you have options to choose. You don't realize you have to choose. If you don't choose, government defaults certain things to you. Same thing. One of the examples will be Florida. If you form an entity in Florida, you, can, you have to have an operating agreement. Every LLC across the United States statute in every state has an LLC agreement. This is very powerful. You can do almost what you want as long as you don't go past certain minimal thresholds. Absent that, you can run it the way you want. If I want to make Amy dress up in a purple monkey suit in order to get her money every week, I can do it. Not a problem. I'm not going to recommend that necessarily. <laughs> um, 
Me neither. <laughs> exactly. But it's just to show what you can do. If you don't do that, if you don't have an attorney to do that, you don't not know what you're missing. You may have opportunities you have missed, and you may open yourselves up to a lot more legal headache you could have easily avoided. And I don't care who you are, paying maybe $1,000 for good liability insurance policy that could save you tens of thousands of dollars in a lawsuit. It's probably a good idea to do. Um, but if you don't know, you know. Right. I, when I was it. first setting up my company, um, I was going to the Small Business Development Center here in San Antonio to learn more about setting everything up and doing everything right. You know, they don't exactly cover all those P's and Q's in college. So I was just <laughs> learning, okay, I'm here in Texas. I'm trying to set up an entity. What do I need to know? And we had an attorney, um, a business attorney like you come and talk. And one of the key takeaways and the reason that I hired him to draw up my paperwork was two reasons. One, what you mentioned already, uh, that there might be things that I don't know, right? The other thing is about partnerships and the entity structure. And we're going to get into that more. I have a question about that later. But, um, but that's the thing is, I didn't even know. Like, I thought I should just list my husband on my um, LLC paperwork. And he was like, no, no, you don't. It's not, it has nothing to do with your marriage being solid. He was like, it's a nightmare if anything were to happen. Um, so just having that legal counsel was so great. And I think I paid a few hundred dollars. And it was for the time to ask all the questions, for them to draw everything up and um, and it was just, it's just so nice knowing. The other thing is to understand what I need to do to be legal. So for example, um, certain states require that your operating agreement or your notes, you have to take like an annual meeting notes and those have to be on file. And if you were to get sued um, and they could basically, um, your, if your company isn't found to be legitimate because you haven't kept up with those requirements, um, the attorney explained to me that if you were to get sued and you're not keeping up with those requirements, your, your company could be found illegitimate. And then you could, that could fall on your own personal, you could personally get sued. And then what you think is protected, oh, my home is protected. My car is protected. This is all under the protection of an LLC, right? Well, not if that LLC is found to not be legitimate or you haven't done what you're supposed to do. So in my experience, that's why a business attorney is so important just to understand like, hey, what am I doing? And um, am, am I saying these things the right way and keeping up with my business the way that I'm supposed to? Um, so I would love to ask you, Mark, as my business is growing, right? So yes, I hired a business attorney to help me understand, mm -hmm. to get my LLC set up, um, all of that. As my business is growing, um, what are some considerations that I have um, to reduce my risk. Okay, so again, this is America, which our state you're in. So which means if you're going to agree with somebody, put it in writing. I can't, I mean, we all know what happened in Jerry Maguire. Yes, my word is my bond. We saw where that ended up for him. So put it in writing. I don't care if it's your friend. I don't care if it's your neighbor. I don't care if it's your dad. I'm sorry. You're going to put it in writing when it relates to the business. And when you do it, you're going to come and say, 
okay, we're putting in writing, what are my risks here if this doesn't happen? Because I tell people, when people look over, I get people all the time, they send me a contract and say, can you look it over? I'm like, sure, I can look it over, but tell me what your concern is. Because if you could give a darn about whether or not you can place a parking sign here, I don't have to worry about the parking language. You know, if you're concerned about whether the air conditioning is covered as a replacement, then fine, I can look at that. But you have to have a concern. So that's what we're here for is what is your concerns that you have? Those need to be addressed. Now, if there's something blatant or something relatively big, I'll mention something that you didn't mention. That's fine. Yeah, we'll give you that extra. But we start with what are you concerned about first? And then answer those because a lot of things have to be drafted specifically to meet those requirements. That's something that I love to do. It's one of the reasons I do what I do is that I tell people, if you can think it, I can put it in writing as long as it's legal. Um, it'll hold up. So you come to me and say, here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm concerned about. Yes, we can fix that in writing. Okay. And then if you've missed something big or comment. No attorney can catch everything. And we think about things. There are going to be some things that are more remote than, but things change. A lot of times we didn't really think that a pandemic qualified. Does that qualify as force majeure for a contract? And force majeure is one of those provisions that says, if it's out of control of us, basically in the hands of God, a meteor strikes, you know, major fire stops something, you know, we're released from the contract. We don't have to perform. It really wasn't anybody's fault. Um, so unless you're rooting for the Patriots, in which case, you know, then that's your fault, you know, there's punishment. But that's outside of that, you know, pandemics weren't included necessarily. Now, you know, you need to be more specific about that. And that's the thing that keeps So it changes. It's not the same from 20 years ago. So you have to have concerns when you deal with somebody. We have to put those in writing to alleviate those concerns and to protect you. So that's one of the biggest things when going you know, forward. The other is taxes, of course. Anytime you do something, there's probably going to be tax implications. And you need to have a good CPA with you that you can have. Even better is you have a CPA that will talk with your attorney so that we can go back and forth. Because a lot of times there's tax advantage to things that don't necessarily are not as good or conflict with the legal protections that you're getting. And sometimes you have to give up certain things you can't always have your cake and eat it too, no matter what people say or no matter what you see. So sometimes if you want this tax advantage, you're going to have to give up this protection. Not always and not necessarily so much. And some things you're like, fine, I don't care. I'll give that up in a heartbeat. Not a problem. But you want to be have that information to weigh those decisions. So those are the things, whenever you deal with somebody, you want to bring in a partner, deal with somebody, even hiring an employee or something, what's my concern that hasn't been addressed? And if I can't address it, You've hired five employees. Maybe you want an employee handbook done by a labor law lawyer. Can I look over one? Yes. Am I the best person to draft one? No. Go see an attorney. So those are just, anytime you come up with somebody else involved, do things need to be in writing? That's really when you call, up, that's when you call me. Say, okay, right. I've got a concern. Can we put it in writing? Give me some legal counsel about the validity of a contract between Two people. So speaking, or two businesses, so speaking of contracts between two people, <laughs> can yep. we talk about partnerships? Because sure. there are many Amazon sellers that get into e-commerce and they want to start a private label brand and 
they're wondering like, and I get this question all the time, like, should, what should I consider in terms of working with somebody else? And um, should I take on a partner? I know in private label, I often have to remind people that the payoff is in the exit more than, you know, in the day-to-day -day with, with private label. So partnerships, they should really consider like, what is your profitability and what does your partner want to take out of the business? How immediately do they want to take money out of the business? You know, what are your expectations? But there are so many considerations for partnerships. So can you talk a little bit about key legal considerations for forming partnerships? Yes. So the first thing actually is not necessarily a legal one is what type of partnership are you looking at? You either have somebody who's coming in that's going to be involved in the business on a day-to-day -day or even month-to-month -month and be actively involved and wants to obtain money from it and share in the revenue as it grows versus somebody who's coming because they want to invest and you've heard the term silent partner where they're like, hey, I'm going to invest in, I want X amount of money back. I'll take my payout on the back end. I'm fine with that. I just want this and I'm going to get it before anybody else does. So you have to decide they both have their own pitfalls and concerns. So when people talk about partnership, are you working together with somebody? Say, hey, you've got some expertise, I have expertise, you have some money, I have some money, let's work together. Or are you saying, hey, I've got this cool idea, I need you know, $100,000 know, from you know, a private investor and we need to create this partnership. Um, the, the latter one, first of all, you're not gonna want what's called a partnership. They're gonna want equity in your entity. And there's no real entity called a partnership. It exists for tax purposes. And yes, you can file in a lot of states, you can file a general partnership. So I take it back that you can file a general partnership, but it really doesn't do much as far as an entity. And you can't really, you know, trying to have the ownership is really tough. So they're going to want something more substantial. They're going to want to be invested in it. And that terms of whether it's an LLC or a corporation, however, those terms can fall into what people call a partnership. You're in partner with somebody, whether it's a corporation, and those terms have to be negotiated. And that's where you need to try to figure out to ask you the questions. Well, how much are you willing to give up to get this now? If I get 100,000, I'll give up 10%. I want 1 million, you know, okay, I've got to give up 50%. You know, and those terms are negotiable. What you really need to do is make sure you have an attorney for that on your side, because these investors are pros at doing it. They know exactly what to ask for. They can ask for more, and you need to understand what it is. I've heard a few stories of people saying, I lost my company you didn't understand what you agreed to when they lent you the money. If you don't like the money on those terms, don't borrow it. So that, and that's a more specific area. That's a matter of make sure you keep control of your company. You don't give it away. When do they get paid? The more other partnership you're thinking about is when the people bring somebody in, like, I want to work with this person. So my question is, before you work with this person, do you trust this person enough to give them the keys to your house, the keys to your car, and to take care of your wife and kids if something happens to you? The answer is no. You may want to reconsider going into business with this person in, true, in a true partnership. Nothing says you can't work together with somebody. The lawyers have a wonderful model called eat what you kill. You work together. What you bring in is yours, minus shared expenses, and go. That's fine. That's not a problem. We're really not truly partners. In a true partnership, you both have put in something it may have may not been defined. The money comes into the partnership, expenses are paid, and the remaining is split pursuant to your partnership agreement, 
as the percentages. And you both have an ownership in this business. So now that you have an ownership in the business, what happens if somebody wants to leave? What if somebody doesn't pull their weight? What if somebody dies? All those things are the, the biggest things, the biggest things I tell people for a partnership. This person has access to your money or to the money in the bank account. Yes, we all know there are legal recourses, but if you have to sue, that means that something didn't do a lot of protection sometimes ahead of time that you should have. What if they die? What if they have you know, family members? What if they have legal issues? And what are expectations? If, if someone thinks they're just going to invest money and sit back in the office all day and not do any work, the other person thinks they're supposed to be working, that's going to be a problem. But if you have to write everything in that into the agreement, which you can do in most states, you have to consider, do you really want to go in business if I have to micromanage everything in writing? So I strongly suggest this. Go see an attorney before you start. They'll ask you questions. Make sure you agree. And if you agree, then great. Okay, move forward with the help of an attorney. And I've heard people say, well, my partner and I have been together for 10 years, or it's my wife or husband and wife. We've been together for 20 years. I'm like, we're not going to change. I'm like, what happens if they get dementia? What happens if they get... Parkinson's, unfortunately. They're not the same person. They can't make the same decisions. Now you've just handicapped yourself, you know, and prevented yourself from moving forward, you know, because of this. So I'm not saying it's wrong to do so, but the, these are all things you're right that you have to consider when going to partnership is the trust factor is number one. What happens if the person dies? What happens if the person, you know, gets sick or is incapable? Or what happens if the person wants to leave? What happens if the person doesn't do their job? doesn't pull their weight. Those are the things that all have to be addressed. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.